What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. The season may be over, but we are still going to be posting content over there. I posted out on Twitter yesterday. I'm going to give the writers a few weeks off here just to digest the season, give them a little bit of time to enjoy the playoffs before we really start hyping up 2024 and looking back on 2023 as well. But we're going to take a couple of weeks off. Obviously, there won't be the pickups of the day. There won't be the weather, the two-star pitchers, the buy-lows and sell-high articles. But we are going to have different off-season content that you guys can follow along there at EthosFantasyBB, also at SportsEthos.com. These podcasts are going to continue throughout the offseason. For those of you who weren't with us last year, you might be kind of like, what the hell? This guy's going to go throughout the offseason. Yeah, we don't take a break here. Uh, we go daily. Some days will be shorter than others. You guys know some days we've gone for, I've done podcasts that have been more than two hours. I've done some that have been about 15 minutes. It is going to be skewing towards probably the shorter side for the early part of the offseason. But I still want to be putting out content for you guys, something baseball related to listen to every single day uh, if I can. I'm going to be doing everything I can to maintain the Iron Man streak that I got going on. We're up over 400 consecutive days, so we're going to do what we can to make sure we get a podcast out for you guys every single day of this offseason. We also have our Dynasty Baseball podcast with Andrew DeSegli that you guys should be checking out, the Farmer's Market Dynasty Baseball podcast. You can find those at sportsethos.com, Ethos Fantasy BB, and also wherever you get your podcasts. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the playoffs today, about what I think is going to shake out over the next month or so, but I do want to congratulate everybody who was able to come away with a fantasy baseball title. That is no small achievement. It is incredibly difficult to remain competitive all the way from the time when you draft in March, and the games actually started, I think, March 30th this year, all the way into October 1st. It is a grind. It is the longest season of any of the pro sports leagues by game total, and I believe also by actual length. I don't know if any other sports or, I mean, hockey and basketball are close, but it really doesn't compare uh, the effort that goes into not just the fantasy side, but the actual baseball side following along for 162 games. There's also the fact that baseball has the most granular data. You have to really, really pay attention to detail, go through these advanced stats to try and stay ahead of the competition, specifically in your deeper leagues, your sharper NFBC leagues. You can't just show up and not really try very hard and do well. You have to put in a lot of effort, whereas some other sports, like I don't want to disparage any other fantasy sports because the fantasy community as a whole is one that I love, and I love all fantasy sports. But fantasy baseball is substantially harder than fantasy football. Those are pretty much all points league-based. It's all luck, a hell of a lot of luck anyway. Fantasy basketball is harder, I would say, um, but it doesn't still meet the grind of fantasy baseball. You know, there's half the amount of games throughout the course of the season. There's not as much attention you have to put into it. Fantasy hockey, admittedly, I don't really have much uh, history with other than some DFS. Fantasy baseball, though, is the hardest of all of them. I don't think you'd get too many arguments there from many people. It is incredibly challenging. So if you were able to come away with a title, I don't care if there was a million dollars on the line or if it was a free league, you should be very proud of yourself. It's a great accomplishment. Even if you weren't able to come away with a title... There are still victories, and sometimes you have to kind of concede, okay, I didn't win the title this year, but at least I beat my buddy so-and-so, at least I came second, at least I placed, at least I was good in the regular season. There are still victories you can take from the course of the season, even if you didn't come away with the number one title. I didn't win my home league for the first time in a couple of years. I came third, wasn't terribly thrilled with it. You just get back on the horse, you know, you just get back on the horse next season, you focus throughout the offseason, you absorb good content, you do your own research, and then next season, uh, you'll be able to turn those results around if 2023 was not a great year for you. 
like I said, we are going to be talking playoffs. We are going to be talking a little bit about the playoffs for the next, I don't know, for the next couple of weeks anyway. We'll probably cover it in and out. Like I'll do some playoff content, then I'll mix it up and I will do some fantasy content. If there's no games or if there's only one game on a particular day, I may go over it. I may not. As a whole, we'll still keep you updated on what's going on here. Uh, but this is generally going to be one of the few times of the year when we're not consistently talking about fantasy because you need a break, I need a little bit of a break, and we've got the postseason. The postseason is very exciting, so let's talk about it for a second. I'm going to give you my picks for each round. I've even chosen a World Series MVP here. Let's start off with the first round, and we'll start off with my hometown, Blue Jays. Blue Jays and Twins being played in Minnesota. i got to take my Blue Jays here. They have... Very close pitching staffs, I would say, especially in because you, you don't really look at the entire staff for a three-game series. You just look at the top thirds, uh, really. You know, the top three guys are the only guys that are going to be going. You might see a number four or five starter used in relief, but for Toronto, it's going to be Gosman, Barrios, and Bassett, maybe Bassett, Barrios. And for the Twins, it's going to be Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, and I believe Joe Ryan. I don't, I haven't seen um, a proper announcement outside of Pablo Lopez, but that is what would logically make sense here. Very strong staffs. Both are pretty top-heavy there. Both pretty strong, even if you get beyond those top three. But I think I do have to give the edge to Toronto. Again, it is very close, and you're essentially splitting hairs here. But Gosman is worthy of a Cy Young. Um, Bassett has been so strong down the stretch. He just completed 200 innings this year, which is no small feat. Jose Barrios has had a huge bounce back, and he'll be playing against his old team here, which is kind of interesting. On the other side, Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray have been excellent. Joe Ryan, I think, is also really, really good, and he hasn't gotten the results he deserved this year. There was a thread I put out, uh, a couple of threads I've done on Joe Ryan, actually, this year. If you want to search in my tweets and look up Joe Ryan, he's going to be somebody I'm very invested in for fantasy in 2024, but the results recently have not been so great for him. He'll probably be the number three guy. I think the, the, or the rotations essentially wash out there. I don't think that there's too much of a difference. You get to the lineups, I think Toronto does have the slight edge. Minnesota... They just don't really scare you offensively. Not that Toronto has really scared you either. They have come around a little bit more recently, but Toronto does have that higher floor offensively, even when they're not really produced. I know it sounds crazy, especially as a Toronto fan, to say that because there have been some stinkers. We saw them just last week get shut out two games in a row by the Yankees, but I think that there's generally a higher floor when you're looking at the Blue Jays' offense versus Minnesota. Minnesota's very middle-of-the-pack team. They hit a lot of home runs. They were third in the league in home runs this year, but 19th in hits, 21st in batting average. They're 11th in on-base percentage. They're kind of middle-of-the-pack. They don't run a lot either. They're 23rd in stolen bases. The Blue Jays, they're kind of getting hot a little bit offensively right now, and a lot of the offensive categories, they do rank at worst in the top half. They're 6th in runs, they're 8th in average, 7th in on-base percentage, 13th in slugging, only 16th in home runs. The power really did not come for the Blue Jays this season, but I would have to give them a slight edge in terms of uh, the lineup. Now, the bullpen is interesting. Toronto's bullpen has been not as good as of late, but still, as a whole, very strong for the season. Minnesota does have some excellent arms in their bullpen as well. And I think when it comes down to a series like this, you're looking at Pagan, you're looking at Drax, you're looking at Duran, a couple other guys they'll mix in there. And maybe even, you know, Kenta Maeda, Bailey Ober could be used in relief there. So I, I do think that this series is very evenly matched. These two teams are within two games of each other in the regular season. I think that it's going to end up being a three-game series that Toronto ends up taking in three. Again, it's 
Part of it might be the bias of being a Toronto guy. Part of it does also just lead me to believe that Toronto is still the better team here. Gosman, you know, if Gosman goes out there and does Gosman things, he is a higher ceiling than a guy like Pablo Lopez. As they can both go out there and be dominant, Gosman at his best is better than Sonny Gray at his best, or than Pablo Lopez at his best, and anybody on the Twins at their best. Gosman is the best starting pitcher in the series. The Blue Jays also have the best hitter in the series, I would say, in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Some people may disagree with that. I think at this point, it's still the case that he is the best hitter in this series. Uh, you know, there's there's some talent on Minnesota, Correa and Buxton's of the world. How often do they actually come through? Buxton's not going to be here, so he doesn't really matter. But Correa, Kepler, Solano, uh, Polanco, they're just not a terribly scary offense to me. They're not a team that I'm really going to worry about so much, especially with Royce Lewis out. I don't think he's going to be back for the series either. I do have to give the slight edge to Toronto here. Now, next up, the Rays and the Rangers. I do think it'll be the Rays coming through with it here. I don't know that the Rangers do have the depth to really, really compete in the playoffs. We've seen them kind of sputter down the second half here. Tampa's favored in game one. They're a minus 150 favorite. We got Tyler Glass now scheduled for Tampa. And the Rangers, I don't think they have actually announced their game one starter yet. It's going to be kind of interesting to see how it shakes out for the Rangers because they're pitching at one point of the season, could have been considered a really, really strong suit. Now they're looking at a, probably Jordan Montgomery, <clears throat> John Gray, and or John Gray's hurt. I forgot about John Gray going on the IL. So Montgomery, Dunning, and Ivaldi, I guess. Like this is, a, if a, this rotation was all healthy, then you could have seen DeGrom, Scherzer, and Yavaldi or DeGrom Scherzer and whoever, it doesn't even matter because you guys are winning the first two games of those are your starting pitchers. They do not have that kind of health anymore. That does worry me a little bit. As a whole, offensively, they've been excellent this season, but the product has decreased uh, throughout the season. They have not been that same juggernaut that they were earlier on in the year. On the other side, the Rays just seem to overcome everything. The Rays just always seem, and granted, they don't ever win the World Series. They've never won a World Series. They've got to a couple. But they always seem to be able to overcome their terrible luck, especially this year with the injuries to their pitching staff. It was absurd. They lost every single pitcher that they had. They lost McClanahan. They lost Springs. They lost Rasmussen. Um, I don't even know. Did Shane Boz even get into a game this year? I, I honestly don't know. I don't think so. They had a lot of troubles with their starting rotation, staying healthy. And even with that, <clears throat> they have one of the most formidable top three pitchers that you can, you're going to see in the playoffs here. Eflin, Savali, and Glass now is nothing to sneeze at. Those guys are all excellent. They can all go out there and dominate. Savali is the lowest of the three there, but Glass now is a top 10 pitcher. Eflin just had like a top five pitcher season. And then Savali is also somebody that you can a lot of the time bank on to give you good starts. His strikeout rate has gone up since he's been in Tampa. He is going to be somebody that is going to be, you know, if he comes out there as the third starter in the series, if they even get to him, He's not just going to be some pushover, <clears throat> you know, like you'd think for a lot of teams, third starters, especially for a team that has like five injured pitchers. Savaldi is still excellent, and he should not be, you know, turned aside just because there's been a couple of not great starts recently. He's still excellent. He is still a pitcher who is out, who's capable of going out there and giving you double-digit strikeouts, and he's the third best guy that they're going to have going in this series, should he even go. The lineup is just always able, it seems, uh, to be able to overcome things as well. Rayleigh got hurt. Wander Franco did his thing, and he's gone. And there's still a very good offense. Rosarena, Diaz, Paredes, Josh Lowe has been just remarkable. If you had Josh Lowe on a team this year, you did very, very well. 
uh, 20 homers, 82 ribbies. I think he had 32 stolen bases on 35 attempts. He batted 292. Like, come on. He was incredible. These are guys that we – I mean, Josh Lowe was kind of a post-hype guy last year. was kind of the year we were thinking was going to be it for him. It wasn't. This year turned out to be excellent. Harold Ramirez is another one. 311 batting average in 121 games, 12 homers, 5 steals, 807 OPS. These guys are really deep up and down the lineup. They have so much talent from top to bottom. And then you got guys like Camonero coming up and not been amazing, but he hit his first home run. I forget if it was yesterday or the day before. Now, uh, he's going to be good. Mead's going to be good. They have so much talent up and down the lineup. And so does Texas. I just don't know that Texas has that consistency and that resolve to do well in the playoffs at this point in their timeline. I am going to take Tampa. I do think that Tampa is going to take them in two games. I think this will be a sweep. That would be my prediction, that they get this one done pretty quickly and that we don't even need a third game there. So in the American League, I have Blue Jays and the Rays moving on from the wild card. In the National League, I do have the Brewers beating the Diamondbacks. <clears throat> and this one comes down to the pitching, solely to pitching. The way that Arizona's season ended, they had to use Zach Allen uh, closing in on the end of the season. They did not have the luxury of being able to set their rotation up a couple days in advance and say, okay, he's not going to pitch. He'll pitch game one. They haven't been able to do that. So Brandon Fott is starting game one of the playoffs. I'm not sure that I really trust Brandon Fott yet. I know that he has gotten a lot better in the second half of the season. Is he ready for the bright lights of the playoffs? I don't think so. And honestly, just looking at his game log, there have been some stinkers in the second half of the season. Like, he's had some great starts. Great start against the Cubs and the White Sox. He did well against San Diego. But there's also really bad one against the Yankees, a really bad one against the Dodgers, bad, another bad one against the Dodgers. Uh, there's a few stinkers, even if you're just looking at August and September. I don't know that that's going to be a great spot for them to be in. Now, I assume Gallon will pitch. I think it'll be game two, because the last time he pitched was September the 29th, I believe. Let me just double-check that. I think... Think Gallon was September 29th. Uh, the Wi-Fi is crapping out on me. Yeah, the 29th. So I assume he'll pitch game two, but will that really set them back the way it could? I, I think so. The Brewers are not a team that <laughs> it really doesn't matter the way they throw out their rotation. Um, with Woodruff, with Burns, with Peralta, there's not a lot that other teams can really hope to do. Right now, I got to give it to them just based on how solid, how solid their pitching is. And the fact that I do think they will be able to just outthrow them in a series. The Diamondbacks, they got probably a better lineup. I think it's pretty close, but that's not even a guarantee. This one is pretty clearly the Brewers for me. I think the Brewers will take care of a fairly inexperienced Diamondbacks team in a couple games. I don't think this one will go three. And I think it will be a pretty easy series, in all honesty. Like I, I, I don't ever want to say that, but I, I think that the Brewers will pretty handily take care of the Diamondbacks. This could be an old takes exposed or whatever the hell you want to call it. But I do think that that one will be the Brewers uh, pretty easily there. This last one as well, I think the National League is a lot simpler than the American League, at least in the wild card. The Phillies are going to take care of the Marlins. That much I, I don't really have much doubt about. And some Marlin fans might be upset here in that. But I think they were very, very lucky to be a playoff team. The Phillies are a team just off of a World Series appearance. They have a much stronger couple of starters they can go with uh, in a wild card series. Nola and Wheeler, that is serious business. You want to talk about Christopher Sanchez or Suarez or Taiwan Walker for Game 3, whoever it is, it's going to be stronger than what the Marlins are going to be able to put out there. And I love the Marlins pitching. I tweeted it out like a week ago. I think when they're healthy, 
they probably have the best pitching staff in all of baseball. But they don't have Sandy Alcantara right now, which is not great. Yuri Perez, they also do not have right now. So you are looking at Lazardo, Garrett, and Cabrera. Guys who I think can all be starting pitcher ones for fantasy. I think they can all be top 12 starting pitchers at some point in their careers. As of right now, I don't know that I have that much faith in a playoff series against bats like Philadelphia. Really, really strong lineup top to bottom there. Lefties, righties, it doesn't really matter what you're talking about. They have pop on both sides. I don't know that the Marlins are going to be able to put up much of a fight here against this very experienced team in the Phillies, like I said, that's just off of a World Series appearance. So I do think the Phillies will pretty easily take care of the Marlins. Like I said, the National League in the wild card round does feel a lot more simple, Brewers and Phillies, uh, as opposed to the Jays and Rays, which I think will both be trickier series. But I do think that the Jays and Twins will be the only one that goes three games. I could be wrong. Rays and Rangers could easily, and so could any of these series, really. It just takes one game. The other team has to win. But I think this will be a pretty quick wild card round. That is the that is the feeling that I have right now. Uh, moving on to the divisional round, though. I do have the Astros taking care of the Blue Jays. As much as I think the Blue Jays will probably sneak it out against Minnesota, they are not anywhere near the level of Houston yet. I don't care what the regular season shows because it doesn't really matter. You know, Baltimore won 11 more games than Houston this year. I don't think anybody's going to say that Baltimore is a better team than Houston, right? And that might sound crazy. But Houston is clearly better, right? I'm not crazy in saying that, even though that these, I think they're the best team in the American League still, like, to be honest. Uh, I, I don't see that wet regular season win totals being like two higher than another team or three higher really make that much of a difference. Houston is top to bottom pretty stacked. Now, the pitching is not as stacked as it once was. And you're still looking at Framber Valdez, Justin Verlander, Christian Javier, Hunter Brown, like J.P. France. It's still incredibly solid, right? That being said, that is their weakness. Like, the, if somebody is going to get to Houston, it is not going to be because they are just able to shut out this team every game. Bregman, Pena, Tucker, Abreu, Alvarez, McCormick now being a stud, Altuve, Yaner Diaz, like they are just top to bottom. And Michael Brantley is back. Like they are just so stacked top to bottom. I think that they probably outside the Braves have the best top to bottom offense in baseball. Christian Javier is kind of the weak link there in terms of the rotation. If you're going back to that, Valdez and Verlander, you're still feeling really good about. Hunter Brown, not feeling great about anymore. Uh, but it, it's really just Christian Javier. Because if Christian Javier is able to be old Christian Javier and they have the three-headed beast of Valdez, Verlander, and Javier, then it's it's going to be curtains for everybody else. If Javier is able to kind of build on the last couple starts of the year, which were pretty good for him, you know, two earned runs, one earned run, three earned run, no earned runs. He had 11 strikeouts against Baltimore on the 20th of September. Been pretty solid as of late. If he can build on that, then I think it's going to be curtains for everybody else. The Blue Jays just can't keep up with Houston, and they're just not going to be able to do it. I, I don't really know that I can even get too deep into the analysis here. I think it just feels, feels very obvious. Toronto has great pitching staff, but I can't see them going into Houston, going anywhere. It doesn't matter where the games are being played, but Houston does have the better record, so they would have home, ser- uh, home field advantage, obviously. Um, and as a division winner, they're going to have home field advantage either way. But going into Houston... I don't see that Toronto is going to be able to go and take a couple games on the road. I, I Toronto has not played well at home either this season, so I don't see that as being a strength. I just There's a lot of factors here pointing towards the fact that it's going to be a pretty quick series in Houston's favor, I think. Toronto is just not ready to compete with the big boys. We've seen it this year, right? They've been on a bit of a streak heading into the playoffs offensively, 
but they have not been a good offensive team. They have 180 home runs or 188 home runs, whatever it was. Everybody has had a down offensive year. Pretty, I mean, Boba Shett, I would argue, probably hasn't. But the fact that he missed like 30 games, it does lead you to look at the counting stats as kind of depleted and say, oh, well, it was kind of a down year. It wasn't really. Stolen bases, I'll concede, sure. But that's not what we're really talking about here. The offense as a whole is just down. This team does not produce runs the way that they were supposed to. So at that point, you are relying on perfect pitching or close to perfect pitching to get you past a team in Houston. You're not going to have perfect pitching against Houston. It's just not going to be the case. So unless Toronto's bats are really able to go on a hot streak, I don't really, really see Toronto winning more than one game against Houston in the division series. So I think that it'll probably be a 3-1 series win for Houston uh, if we get to the division series there. And it is like, I think it's going to be Houston and Toronto. Uh, I would give it to Houston. The Rays and the Orioles is the next one. I will slightly give this one to the Rays. A lot of this is coming down to experience and also how I trust their rotation. You know, Baltimore's pitching is going to be what holds them back this year. They really screwed up not going out and making more moves for pitchers. Jack Flaherty, that was that was a stupid acquisition that was never going to push the needle. I don't even know if he's going to be on playoff rosters. He probably shouldn't be. Like, he's pitching in relief at the last couple times he's been out. Hasn't been able to get out of the fifth inning. Hasn't even been able to pitch five innings since August. Like, it's not good. Like that, if they were able to go out there and go and acquire a top tier starting pitcher at the deadline, whether it was Dylan Cease or whether it was Jordan Montgomery or whether whoever, anybody, any top tier pitcher, then I would feel a lot more comfortable about this team. Kyle Bradish is a stud. Grayson Rodriguez is a stud. But after that, where do you go? And this is not a wild card series. This is a series where you need to win four games. You ideally need four four starting pitchers here. So Tyler Wells, maybe he works his way back on the rotation. Maybe he doesn't. But you're looking at Kyle Gibson, Dean Kramer, and Jack Flaherty as your 3-4-5 for a playoff series. I mean, Kramer has been pretty okay. Gibson is eh, not not terribly great. He has 15 wins, but that's more a product of the team he's on. 4.73 ERA. It's like Drew Hutchison a few years ago, if you uh, remember Toronto Blue Jays pitcher. The team was not good. He was not. I mean, the team was pretty good. He was really not good. And he won 15 or 16 games with like a 520 ERA. Gibson having those wins does not mean that he had a great year. He really did not have an amazing year at all. So I I think the pitching is what's going to be what holds back Baltimore here. I don't think they are going to be able to go toe-to-toe with Tampa with their big guns uh, in a series. Offensively, I think that they can compete. But will these guys compete? Uh, in the postseason for the first time, a lot of them, I don't know. I don't know that we can say that with any degree of certainty that Santander, Rutschman, and Henderson, and all these guys are going to be able to do exactly the same thing in the postseason. I don't know. I'm not saying they can't, but I'm saying we really don't know at this point what they are going to look like under the brightest of lights against a division rival. So I I will go Tampa at this point. I think this one will be fairly close. I could see it going five games. But I don't see the Orioles pulling away strictly because of their lack of pitch and depth there. Uh, the next up, we got Dodgers and Brewers. I think it's going to be the Dodgers here. As much as the Dodgers are not the team that they have been the last couple of years, we're still talking about a team that won 100 games this season. They're also a team that is going to come down to the pitching, what the pitching will look like. Because Clayton Kershaw, they've been really, really worried. They've been using the kid gloves recently, not terribly high pitch counts. Uh, the walk rate has been really bad, as a side note with Kershaw. If you look at his last five starts, the walk totals are 3, 5, 2, 2, and 2. That is very un esque Now, he still finished the year in 131 innings with a 246 ERA 
and a 106 whip. So there's really not too much that you have to be overly concerned about for Clayton Kershaw. But he's their ace, and he's an old guy at this point, and I'm not sure if I trust him to go, you know, start two times in a series on short rest. I don't know at this point if he's able to do that. Outside of him, the rotation, respectfully, is not good. Bobby Miller is the only guy that they can look to and say, yeah, you have been solid for us this year. We're going to be very comfortable giving you the ball in the postseason. I don't know that there's anybody else you can do that with. Ryan Yarbrough? Ryan Yarbrough had been really good in the relief role for the Dodgers since he came over there. He looked like an amazing asset. Well, four innings against Colorado the other day were nine earned runs. He allowed three homers, only struck out two. So his confidence is probably shot heading into the postseason. There's really not much in terms of postseason quality level pitchers here. Emmett Sheehan is going to go and pitch in the postseason for you with his 492 ERA. I don't know. I don't know that he is. I mean, he probably will end up pitching because they're just kind of down. They're lacking depth. Is he going to do anything great? I'm not sure. That being said, I still think the Dodgers are going to pull away because of how strong they are offensively, and they can still generally compete with the pitching. Like, even if Kershaw, and it's it's Kershaw and Miller, and then let's say they go to Sheehan, I could still see them winning two or even three of those games just because of how strong their offense is. The Brewers have the strong pitching, but offensively, they're not really a team that scares you so much. And I'm being generous with that characterization. They're 24th in the league in hits, 23rd in batting average, 25th in slugging, 24th in home runs. They're not terribly scary offense. They're really not. William Contreras has had a great season. Christian Yelich has had a great season. Willie Adamas has kind of quietly had a good season outside of the batting average, and Mark Canna has been a pretty good addition. Um, you know, Carlos Santana has been okay as well, but we're not looking at Carlos Santana as being an it factor in a playoff series at this point. Uh, he's like 37 years old. He's been good, but this offense pales in comparison to what the Dodgers can do. There's two different schools of thought. Offense wins championship, defense wins championship. It's both. It's not one or the other. It is, it is a combination of both. The Dodgers do have that combination going for them more so than the Brewers do. The Brewers' offense is really not going to be able to be that strong. Now, if they are able to just string some timely hits together, that Dodgers' rotation is not strong enough that they can withstand uh, you know, getting beat up. Uh, they, they're, not a, they're not deep enough where they can say, okay, we got beat up, Kershaw got beat up in Game 1, but we have X, Y, and Z going in Games 2, 3, and 4. We have Walker Bueller, Julio Urias, and Trevor Bauer, or whatever that would have been in a couple years ago. Like, it's nothing like that. If Kershaw does get blown up, then that is kind of where we sit as maybe the Brewers could, could pull it off at that point. But as of right now, I have to take the Dodgers. I think they are still the superior team with the superior roster construction, and they are the team uh, that I think is, is going to succeed if this is what we see uh, against the Brewers there in the second round. The last division series, Braves and Phillies. Braves and Phillies is in my opinion, going to go to the Braves. This is a repeat of last year, what we saw in the divisions. Or was it the division or was it the championship series? I think it was the division series last year. Um, but the Braves are just so, so stupidly good. It's, it's hard to pick against them in anything, really. I'm going to read off their offensive rankings in these categories that are just the general offensive categories, the standard ones, but they are first in runs per game, first in hits, first in batting average. Yes, I know there is some correlation there, but still, it doesn't always work out that way. First in on-base percentage, first in slugging, first in OPS, and first in home runs. The Braves tied the all-time record for regular season home runs with 307. They set the Major League record. They slugged 501 as a team. I don't know if people realize how ridiculous 
ridiculous that is to slug 501 as a team. A 500 slugging percentage is an elite slugging percentage. I mean, a lot of this is going to be the Olsons and the Acunas of the world kind of pulling everybody up, but you still don't see that kind of dominance really ever. Like, there were 20 guys, there were 20 batters in Major League Baseball this year who had a 500 slugging percentage or better. Guys who didn't were guys like Bryce Harper, Bobby Witt Jr., Gunnar Henderson, Julio Rodriguez. Like, these, that's to put into context how good this team is offensively. If there's going to be anything that kind of holds them back, it might be some of the injuries we've seen to their pitchers. That being said, Strider, Elder, I mean, Morton, I'm not really sure if Morton's going to be, oh, you know what? He actually is ineligible still. Because when he went on the IL, it seemed like there was going to be enough time that he would be able to come back for the DS, but I guess not. So there will be no Charlie Morton. Max Fried is lining up. He's supposed to pitch uh, game two of the NLDS. So it should be Strider, Fried, Bryce Elder, and then... I'm not sure where they'd go after that. That would be the one thing that might hold the Braves back. If they had a fully healthy pitching rotation right now, like if Kyle Wright, it's Kyle, no, Kyle Wright is going to be there too. So Kyle Wright will probably get that third start, even though he hasn't really fully built up yet. I'm not sure if they'd go that route or not, actually. Um, but that that is kind of the one question mark for the Braves is the, the depth of the starting pitching at this point. Strider, Freed, Elder is a pretty strong one, two, three. After that, I mean, if Wright is able to get built up, I don't think they want Smith Shaver going in the playoffs or Dylan Dodd. I'm not sure the way they would go here. I'm really not sure the way they would go, and that's the one thing that would lead me to be a little bit hesitant about the Braves. But I do think still, given the strength of their pen, given the ridiculous strength of their lineup, that they will still be able to win a series against pretty much any team. And I don't think it makes a difference if it's the Braves or whoever it is. Uh, I think they'll definitely come away with that, at worst, one playoff round this season. Now, the American League Championship, I have it set up as the Astros and the Rays. I'm going to pick the experience here. I'm going to go with the Astros team. That is a better offense. That Pitching, I think, is a fairly close comparison between the two of them at this point with, with the health levels of both teams. I am going to go with the Astros, and I am going to go with the team that has been there repeatedly, the team that seems to get there every single year and always finds a way, and a lot of that is because of their bats. Like, the pitching, I think, is a wash, pretty close to a wash, but the Astros pretty clearly have the advantage there in terms of the bats. Not to take anything away from the Rays' bats. I just went on about them earlier today. They are super talented. The Astros are on a whole other world. They're on a whole other planet. So they are the team I am picking to come out of the American League this year. In the National League, I have the Braves beating the Dodgers, and I I don't need to get into the granular arguments again. These are both teams that are going to be struggling a little bit, once it gets to this point especially, should they get there, with their starting pitching. Who's going to be healthy? Who's going to be able to go six innings at this point? What's our depth looking like? They're both going to struggle, probably. Now, the offense is the obvious separator. The Braves are many moons ahead of any other team offensively. So even if the pitching is relatively close, you have to go with the Braves. You have to go with the Braves, and I am going with the Braves. I think it'll be a Braves and Astros World Series this season. I know, I'm really going out on a limb there, but I don't think I need to be contrarian or give a hot take on something like this. This is not something where there's going to be a lot of things. This is like the one bracket. This is the one time I'm going to do this bracket, so there's no need to be like, ah, it's not like a DFS thing, right? Yeah, I'll pick the Marlins in some brackets. I'll pick the Orioles in some. It's a single slot. It's a single slate entry for those of you who play DFS. I think that the Astros losing to the Braves is the most likely outcome that we have as of right now. 
the best team in the American League, the best team in the National League. Now, does it always work out like that? No, it doesn't. You see it every year. There's upsets. But I think as of right now, that is what I expect to happen. The Braves beating the Astros. For fun, I picked the World Series MVP. And I went with Orlando Arcia. And I went with Orlando Arcia because these World Series MVPs are typically incredibly random. You can't usually look at a series and say, this is the best player in the series. Odds are he's going to win World Series MVP. It very rarely actually happens like that. Jeremy Pena was the World Series MVP last year. Jorge Soler the year before. Corey Seager, Steven Strasburg, Steve Pierce, George Springer, Ben Zobris, Sal Perez, Madison Bumgarner, David Ortiz. Every now and then, it's the best player on a team. More often than not, you see it's a David Freeze type. It's an Edgar Renteria type. It's a Mike Lowell, David Eckstein, Jermaine Dye type. It's not usually the chalky player. So you might say Acuna is likely to win World Series MVP. Probably is a fair bet. And if there were betting odds open on it, and there probably are somewhere, he's probably the favorite. But I'm going to go with Orlando Arcia because he is a guy who I think can be very valuable to them in the field and also at the plate, even though he is a number nine hitter, usually batting in the number nine slot. He is a guy that is very capable of just going off for a series. And I think that that is... You know, there's, there's no real logic when it comes to picking a World Series MVP at this point. It's more just random. But Arcia has been one of those glue guys that wasn't really expected to even be there much this year. People were upset when he got the contract at the beginning of the year. Where's Vaughn Grissom? Why are they doing this to Vaughn Grissom? And blah, blah, blah. He's had 17 homers, batted 264. He's been on a bit of a cold stretch over the last month. But that honestly just leads me more into leaning into this pick. I think that he is going to surprise as somebody who can be kind of versatile in the field, somebody who can, you know, give you some pop, somebody who is a good offensive player as well. That's my pick, Orlando Arcia. And again, this is completely random. There is no, this is just my gut feeling. There is no logic to picking a World Series MVP pick, especially at this time. This is just my feeling. So that is it. Those are my picks for the playoffs. That's what I think will happen in each round. I didn't do championship series MVPs, but we'll maybe talk about that on Twitter when it gets to it. Uh, let me know what you think. Let me know what your picks are. I tweeted it out earlier today as well at JoeOrico99. If you guys want to go ahead and leave a comment, let me know what your picks are. Always welcome there. Any kind of feedback or any kind of interaction on the socials is always great. Go check us out at Ethos Fantasy BB. <clears throat> we are still posting content. Like I said, we're going to give the guys on the written side a couple of weeks off, but my podcast will still be there every day. Andrew's going to be putting out Dynasty Podcasts at least once a week as well, and we're going to get started up uh, with the writing content again sometime in early November. But until tomorrow, guys, we will – I'm not sure we're going to do tomorrow. We might get into pitcher rankings. We might start looking at the actual games that happen tomorrow. Um, but we'll figure it out. we got a long off-season of content. We are going to get that all planned out for you guys. Uh, but until tomorrow, have a great night, guys. Take care, and cheers. Cheers.